Greetings and salutations, board game fans. The Dice Pirates are back, episode 36. I, of course, am your host, Ian, joined by Matt and Aaron. As always, this week, we're going to go ahead and be jumping into some great games that come in very small boxes. There's a lot of really enjoyable games out there. Some of them take up the entire table. Some of them have boxes that barely fit through the door. But sometimes there's really enjoyable games with very minimal components that definitely are worth a look. So we're going to be taking a look at those later. But we are super happy to be back. We do apologize for the brief hiatus. Things were extremely busy. Graduations were happening. It was a crazy time. But we're glad to be back. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. I'm thrilled to be reunited. Uh, time and the multiverse itself can't keep us apart, gentlemen. We have reunited, and it feels so good. All right, we're going to go ahead and move right on to the soapboxes. Aaron, I know that you have one for us. What's going on? So I, along with, uh, I think, roughly 30,000 other people, uh, backed Marvel Zombies, the uh, Marvel IP licensed version of Zombicide of from Of course you did. Simon. Because uh, you're so basic. It's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, most notably featuring the, uh, I believe, three-foot-tall statue of Galactus that has a function in the game, which is uh, yeah. that you can put stuff on it. Couldn't just be a board. It has to be a, a, a thing the size of my children. Um, and during the Kickstarter campaign... Uh, Simon had estimates for what the shipping would be, and they have opened up the backer kit, and it appears that the ongoing everything, uh, most notably the the you know how it's affecting shipping, has really really taken force because the Kickstarter itself was not that long ago, so the fact that the difference between their estimates and what they are now is so vast uh so i am uh you know i'm in georgia i'm about four hours away from simon so shipping's relatively cheap. obviously it goes to a hub they're not shipping it from their office to me directly but getting the just the base game and the big statue and then the stretch goal boxes and all that to get to and then also having to wait until everything is ready so single wave shipping not ship everything as it becomes already uh is almost this was estimated to be 50 to 80 dollars on the the kickstarter is almost 130 dollars it's almost as though and and look i'm not an expert on global supply lines or shipping but it it's almost as though creating a game component the size and weight of a toddler becomes a problematic thing to ship across the seven seas that's I, it, it seems like it may have been i don't know an ill-conceived concept and these are uh and these are post-covid well not really post-covid and these are pandemic times um i have seen there's a couple good threads up on board game geek with somebody i believe Somebody has, has taken and posted that, like, if you just backed just the base game itself, the estimate mm -hmm. for shipping was about $30, and the actual cost is double that. Wow. So, like, it's not that they were 
a little bit off. It's how outrageously they were off. And that percent change is fairly persistent no matter what your pledge level is. You could buy multiple small games for the increase in shipping costs. A veritable shovel load. I, I mean, on the one hand, obviously, if, if you're getting the base game, you're not spending a ton. You're not trying to break your bank. But also, like, like if you $70. are, sh- if you're shelling out money for like the big stuff, if you're shelling out money for the Galactus, I have to imagine that you were, had to also be prepared for a high shipping cost. Like what? You know, I'm not 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 that uh, that that comes off as is is obviously it's not. You never want to be paid you know have it cost more than, right but yeah but like you know it's, like it should but it's just that's i mean that especially nowadays i feel like that's to be expected like you said but like the the if you just back the base game so just the base game and then the like free stretch goals that everybody got that shipping is 60 dollars. if you back the 615 dollar everything they're probably gonna, you know, have somebody drop a crate off in your driveway version. That's like $130, which sounds like a lot more, but that's only like twice as much shipping for yeah. that is, five that is times the weight in plastic and box it like that's, hmm. fa- that's fair. You can't totally blame it on the, the giant Galactus. That's true. That's that's interesting. Like, I can't, you know, when, when I can get a box with that much game stuff in it from like cool stuff or not you know uh, uh, cool stuff inc or miniature market spend a hundred bucks and get free shipping i uh i mean this is just gonna keep happening for the near future i mean it's gonna be really really difficult for publishers to like fulfill these uh shipping orders where the games are being made in china and they got to get them over here it's just gonna be tough for a long time and uh i don't i I don't know it's it's easy to say now like in hindsight but i think there's like some buyer beware i would be really cautious about you know maybe backing some games right now or definitely backing anything that's like okay this is a big box game with a lot of stuff this is gonna be tough you know to get packed and moved across the globe Uh, it it, but it really does stink. I mean, I'm kind of being like facetious about it, but it's really, it's a huge bummer. Like if you're a yeah. fan of these games and you've sunk money into it and you're really excited and now you're on the hook for even more, uh, that's not cool. Yeah, that, that's a really difficult situation to be in. And I mean, it, it does like, I mean, it's going to be years before things really kind of settle down if they ever do, honestly, you know, we'll, we'll have to see where things go. But like you said, very, very frustrating. Uh, I actually have a soapbox that I'm gonna go ahead and bring out. I didn't even put this on the, I didn't put this on the show notes. So you guys have no you're idea. You're going rogue. You're going, going, you're going this, off script. But it just going came to book. me, and I remembered. All of a sudden, I remembered how much I dislike villainous. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> while we're talking about Marvel, you know, and, and uh, Disney, yeah, they I just, do that I, I was like, I just, I, I, still to this day, every time. I pull out Villainous. I am just blown away by the fact that some people really, really like this game. Like, I, I every now and then, I, you know, time will pass. People come over and be like, you know what? These people might like Villainous because they like Disney stuff. You know, they're not super into games. Let's, let's pull this out. Let's yeah. jump into it. And every time what happens is I start explaining the rules. I try to, to break it down. 
and they just kind of get that glazed look over their eyes because they're like, I was going to play Jafar, but now I have to understand what a fate move is and why do I have to worry about the the mechanics of moving the card left and right and, and how that happens and when that happens. And, okay, I can do all four of these actions, but I can do them in any order, but then, like, you know, sometimes they're taken away. Like, it's just, it gets really complicated really quickly. And because you're essentially, I mean, like, this is probably one of the best uses for the term like single player solitaire that I uh, yes. like any games that I think I've ever seen because you sometimes interact with each other by like playing fake cards on other people, but that's such a minimal way of interacting. You're not actually interacting with them, and sometimes you actually work. You need that to happen to like and to like actually progress your game. But mm-hmm. for the most part, you're just moving cards left and right on your board, shuffling your little token you know, around taking some money tokens and then giving the money tokens back. Like you're just kind of doing your own thing and you're looking around like, okay, is that person getting close to winning? I guess, you know, like, and especially if you're just starting the game because everybody has such a vastly different thing they need to do. They have no idea what they're, they're confused by what everyone else is doing. So they're trying to focus on themselves and it can sometimes be hard to help them with what they need to do. Cause you don't want to just, you know micromanage every move they make so they're going to make suboptimal moves and they're just going to end up behind so like just overall everything about the game just kind of baffles me and i know some people are super into it some people have really bought into like the villainous thing and if you know if that's a game you enjoy that more power to you but i don't understand it at all i'm actually uh fully in agreement on this it is an unusual game to be like really popular and also like seemingly like mainstream like pop popular with like not core board gamers because it's uh it's like a staple at like target or whatever like it's a retail friendly seemingly well-selling game that has had now a ton of expansions and spinoffs and all this jazz but i found it to be deeply weird the first time i played it it felt so disconnected and it was shockingly complex i was like this is not just like a casual little like let's play a quick little disney game this is a whole thing like I don't disagree with you, but at the same time, it's almost like you just played back an audio clip of me talking about Carcassonne, which which you <laughs> defy me is in fact a good game, and I'm just like it's not though. I've played it, and it 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 sucks as a game. So that was it was a weird like uh, mirror moment, I guess, of like oh is that is that what my voice sounds like? That's so weird because it sounds different in my head. Although in the mirror universe. Although uh, to be fair, I also think that Villainous is at best okay. Would you play uh, Villainous over Exploding Kittens? Um, you had to play one of those two games. I mean, what are you playing? Villainous at I least. I would play Exploding Kittens. Villainous is at least a game, whereas Exploding uh. <laughs> Kittens is an activity. No, but but Exploding Kittens is is over in like. You know, even if you are at the point where you're just hating everybody at the table, at least Exploding Kittens is over in like 20 minutes. Villainous is going to last like an hour, especially if people don't know what they're doing. It's going to be an hour, two hours, and you're going to be stuck there, and it's just not engaging gameplay. So I would play Exploding Kittens 1,000% every single time if you offered me the two games. Would you play uh, Villainous would you, or uh, 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 Cards Against Humanity? <laughs> If you had to play one of those two games. No, absolutely. Same answer. It's, it's no, way no, shorter. No, it's not. It's Cards Against Humanity. It's not way shorter. Cards Against Humanity no. does not end. Okay, but you keep see, going. See, Cards Against Humanity has the same thing as like Apples to Apples. You stop whenever bored. you want to stop. Have you I not, stop whenever you stop. I didn't like, tell you, can, you guys this. 
I got a story. I got a story. I forgot. I didn't bring this up. This is now my soapbox. We're all, we're totally off script. I love it. <laughs> we're not even talking about pirate. small box games tonight, guys. So this is a small box game. It fits the theme perfectly. I finally played uh, Cards Against Humanity after all these years of making fun of it because it just seemed Ugh. dumb. But I'd never played it, and I was uh, I was at a conference not too long ago for work you know, with business folks. And one of the mixers, like fun things that came up was board game night. And I said to myself, this is not going to be, this is not going to be good. Like as a serious, <laughs> as like a serious board gamer, and, and not only that, but one of the world's premier uh, board game podcasters, uh, I was like, this is not going to be uh, a great experience, but I'm going to go and see just off chance that there's some like serious board game fan there who's sitting meekly in the corner with a copy of like, uh, you know, wingspan, just hoping somebody will play. So I show up, and it's exactly what I thought. There's just some Milton Bradley, like, family game stuff going on in a couple of spots, and then a huge mass of people, too many people, are playing Cards Against Humanity around a big round table in the middle of a conference room. And uh, there's a lot of alcohol. And I sit down, and I'm like, this is probably the only, like, opportunity I'm ever going to get to play it, and I need to check this box off to say that I have, in fact, played it. Um... If you have ever attempted to play Cards Against Humanity with upwards of 10 people, I think there were probably 20 plus people around this very large table trying to play it. It is a friggin' nightmare. Just each each session, each card, you know, that you're trying to resolve is so ridiculous. And I was just like, this is this is torturous. This is awful. <laughs> And, uh, and of course, there's no way to win it. It's not really a game. It's silly. It's stupid. Everyone was having a great time. I feel like I was the only person going like, what even is this? I did not have a good time with it. It was really bad. Also, Clearly. I'm I consider myself to be incredibly funny, and none of my stuff <laughs> And I never won a single card. <laughs> it was really terrible. Oh, uh, no. Well, clearly, you did not have enough drinks to truly there's, enjoy the game. There, there are. Well, I... I tried. I was giving it my all <laughs> on the drink. Since Cards Against Humanity has come out, there have been a number of games that have also come out doing a similar thing of one person is judging everyone's selections, but a lot of the other games have included a mechanic wherein you are defending your choice, and that helps so much. Uh, favorite in yeah. my group is Snake Oil, where you are... The, the judge for the round is a cheerleader or a scientist or a cowboy and you have adjective and noun cards in your hand and you play two of them to come up with something like mistake napkin and i have to sell you a cowboy why you want to invest in mistake napkin over all of the other choices at the table and having that that pitch part of it uh there's another game fun employed i haven't played it but from what i understand yeah well that's well, a see, layer so, of, like, gameplay yeah. as opposed to just, like, organized silliness. I think you're honestly, and we've got way off. We've way <laughs> off here, so we're <laughs> back soon. But, like, this is, the, the point of playing apples to apples, which is kind of, like, uh, really, like, the original kind of form of this, or something like Cards Against Humanity, is not to win. The point is not that you are winning the game. The point is that you as a group are creating funny moments and that you're trying to have fun by what is the most absurd thing that could possibly sure. come out of this. It's Mad Libs as a group is really what it is. Yeah. And so you got to like enjoy it that way. Like if you're tr approaching it as like a traditional game, then you're not going to have a good time is, is how I, I kind of see it. And so I think that like, you know, there are games where you like defend your choice, but I think that gamifies it more 
then uh, then it gets like for these games but anyways that's uh my my soapbox went wildly off course which happens when you uh just randomly decide to bring something up but we're gonna go ahead and move on to our game bitter board gamers i'm gonna read you guys some one-star reviews you guys are gonna try and guess what game i'm talking about you guys ready i am ready all righty first game first review for you Avoid this game. Terrible rulebook. And again, the player who knows it all problem is present in this game. Great theme, though. Is huh. this <laughs> The player who knows it all problem. Terrible rulebook. That narrows it down to almost every board <laughs> so game. Almost every games. board game. Yeah. Uh, great theme, though. All righty. So I'm going to go ahead and give you give us a second more. review. First of all, the rulebook is the worst of all time. The game is People really basically like punishing you for the sake of punishing, and it is 90% luck dependent. The game is a pain and a waste of time to learn and play. Both me and my fiancé had the same reaction. Two days later, a friend and his girlfriend also learned it and played it and actually thought about burning the darn thing to ashes. I said, we make a bonfire as soon as the corona quarantine is over. Piece of crap game from an arrogant, sadistic game designer. Don't waste your money. Get Spirit Island instead that destroys this game and rewards you if you've worked out a decent strategy. So angry at this crap game. Wait a minute. Are they talking about Robinson Crusoe? They're talking about Robinson Crusoe. No way! <laughs> I was so I was going to guess pan Pandemic. But uh, similar... Uh, okay. First of all, <laughs> they're wrong. Second of all, I'm offended. Uh, this is so funny because this was gonna be my soapbox before we went so wildly off course. You were just sitting over there, like loving this when I brought up in the pre and the off recording preamble that I wanted to talk about it. I just played Robinson Crusoe on Sunday with a fellow Dash Pirate Dennis, and we just clocked our first victory. And I love this game. Uh, they're not wrong about the rule book, though. I can't give any actual defense of the rule book. Also. The reason people are so angry at the game is that it's really freaking hard. And it is that thing. We talked about it on one of the episodes where we were talking about co-op games. You know, this game is pitched more toward, like, the kind of co-op game you're going to lose more than you win. Versus, like, something like Marvel United, which is my current, like, gold standard for, like... Uh, or Horrified is another good one. Like, a co-op game you're probably going to win more than you lose. Or about 50% of the time. You know, like a good like there are co-op games that are like you you generally will win, but it's tense. And then there's games where it's like you got to really earn that victory, and not everyone's there for that. Robinson Crusoe is very much like not only do you have to have an almost flawless plan in order to survive the perils of the island, but you got to have a lot a lot of things got to break your way, like because there's a deep cut of randomness in the game. Every time you venture out to explore, to even try to build something. Uh, in most cases, you're gonna have to roll dice to see if the outcome of that goes in your favor, or uh, and you could even be like injured trying to like build a hatchet, which is wow. dumb, but it, you can happen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's see you build a hatchet and not break a leg. Exactly. I can see people getting pretty pretty upset by that. Although, I mean, like you, you mentioned, I know we're gonna get into this in a future episode, really dive into the game, but you know, you've mentioned that like you can really get far with and you can't actually like win if you're really planning ahead to a certain extent so yeah you need luck to like push you over the edge you need a good plan and you need a little bit of luck but when it all comes together it's really good but the thing that like 
here's my defense of Robson Crusoe, and I'll and we can get off of it. It's, it does that magic thing that a really good board game does, where the world outside of the game has like disappears, and after about forty minutes of play, like you're sitting there talking about the choices and decisions in the in the game that that you need to make as if they're real. I mean, me and Dennis are over here like. I don't know, man. I mean, we could try to build this furnace, so that would really help us when the snow comes. But like, what if we go over here and like, maybe I need to do a little hunting? Like, I don't know. But then, what if there's a tiger and you're just like, Ugh! and I'm like, what are we even talking about right now? <laughs> like, like we're just in it completely. And I was like, okay, it does a really good job of pulling you into the thematicness. Um, it's it's gonna resonate harder with a certain type of gamer. It has a atrocious rule book. I can't defend it. You, you, you've got to be willing. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful that Dennis is an actual uh, doctor and very good at processing complex information because <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could figure it out. Sounds like there's probably a lot of great submissions for rulebook randomness that we will have to delve into. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and move on to the second game. Here is your first review. The rules don't matter. Just flip over cards until the game kills everyone. F this game. Is that pandemic? It is not pandemic. <laughs> That's a pretty good definition of pandemic. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, just flip over cards until the game kills everyone? Yeah. I'm going to give you a second one because I think this might be a harder one for you guys to get. No need to ever revisit this one again. On my second turn, I drew the snake bite card and was instantly dead and out of the game and sat and watched the next 25 minutes. I'm not sure how that is supposed to be fun. Oh, you're talking about the Oregon Trail card game. I am talking about the Oregon Trail card game. The much maligned Oregon Trail card game. I own this. Uh, It's right here. I Uh, also own this. Yeah. Uh, It's pretty bad. (laughs) I want to, like, articulate some kind of defense of it. Uh, It's it's not great. I've never won it. I've never even come close. So I I will put up a quick defense of it so this is by far the lowest reviewed game that we've done on bitterboard gamers it sits at 4.2 uh people do not like it if you're playing with less than five people i don't think you're going to have a good time um and i think if you just remove the cards that immediately kill you i think you're going to enjoy it way more because so much of the game especially with larger people is planning for okay well what are the chances that we draw a second you know uh drought card and then our buffalo die you know how do we yeah. how do you approach and how do you solve the issues as a group i think there is actually a lot of fun to it the more people you have the further you're going to go but yet the fact that you can get just knocked out and just be watching for a long time is pretty lame it's pretty lame uh i have only ever played it with two players now that i think about it and it is uh really difficult you don't have enough like items between the two of you to like reconcile when there's like a crisis um I don't even, I'm not even going to attempt to explain the rules. It's you're trying to go down the trail, you're trying to survive. You got to deal with crisis, but there's instant kill cards. That's insane. It's just the it, it, the game's a ticking time bomb between one of the two of you drawing like you're dead. Congratulations. You're dead. It, it is a real trip of a game and uh yeah, no it can get it can get pretty rough. That is our bitter board gamers for this episode. We're going to go ahead and move on to our main topic. We'll be right back in just a second. Alrighty, and welcome back to the Dice Pirates, and we're going to go ahead and dive into our main topic this week, and this week we're taking a look at some awesome games that fit in tiny boxes. That's right, small box treasures uh, is the theme of uh, tonight, and or today, this episode, I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, Ian, 
let's kick, kick us off a little bit here. So what is a good working definition of a small box game? What are we talking about? So I think, you know, obviously, first off, you want a game that comes in a small box. You know, like so many games come in very big boxes. There's a ton of components. Some games come in big boxes that shouldn't come in small, big boxes. Looking at you, Splendor. Uh, but, you know, so I think any game that comes in a smaller box, something that doesn't have a ton of components, it really respects your table space is a, is a big one for me as well that you can pull out in a smaller you know, smaller area that doesn't spread out, you know, crazy like Twilight Imperium. So for me, I think that's what we're talking about. A solid game that gives you a good experience that doesn't take up, you know, all of your space. You don't have to lug it around. You can just put it in a bag or a backpack. You know, if it's small enough, you could put it in a pocket. But that yeah. also allows you to, you know, still enjoy the time with it. I love small box games. I'm actually uh, uh, I'm actually scanning my shelves as we talk. I mean, it's out here in my game room. It actually owned, I didn't really realize it, but I own a surprising number of small box games. I like the form factor of little games that you can travel with like several. Every time I go on vacation, I come in here and grab a bunch of these games to go on the road. And I realize that the games that I grab a lot of are these small form factor games. Because it's great to just be able to grab, you know, five or six board games and they fit in a standard backpack, you know. Uh, so there's a lot of charm in small box games. I think every collection needs a good mix of them uh both for like portability and also just because uh ease of setup and all sorts of factors and so we're gonna run through some of our favorites tonight uh actually yeah so actually i want to start off with uh my game that i would recommend if you want to pick up a, a nice quick game that's small is dutch blitz now this is a definitely a little bit of an older game it is a dexterity card game and I so I really like this one because it has all the things. First off, that it's just a bunch of decks of cards. So the box is super small, super easy to carry around with you, and it doesn't take up a bunch of table space. Essentially, what happens is every person that's playing is going to have their own deck, and each deck consists of four different colors. And on those colors, you have cards going from one to ten. And you're going to go ahead and deal out ten cards in front of you, and they're going to sit in a stack, and you have to get those ten cards onto the table in front of you with and in the table in the shared space you're going to be stacking cards starting at one moving up to ten so everyone's playing in the same area you're all playing at the exact same time so if i put out a one everybody else at the table that has a two can put their two on top of that same card so it gets super super fast there's a, mostly it's just about you know being able to see everything that's happening on the table at once you have a couple other stacks as well that you can use to if you don't have like if you can't put out on top of the stack of the 10 cards you need to get rid of to finish the game. If you can't get that card out, you can maybe put out a different card that you also have in front of you to set up for that one. So I could put out a two that's in front of me and then get the three that I actually need to get out. So it's just, it's very quick. It's super easy to pick up. Like once you play it a couple times, you're gonna get the feel of it. And it doesn't take up a ton of space either. It's also just super fun when you start, just people just start throwing cards around. Everyone's freaking out. It's just complete chaos, and I absolutely love it. So this is a, this is like the, about the minimal definition of a smallest game. This is literally just like an Uno card, like box size, like kind of, you know, fits two decks of cards in a box is what it looks like. I'm looking at the pictures. So it's, and this is literally just a card game. Yeah. You have four, you have four decks. So four people can play the base wise and uh, you don't even have to, like, you can just pick up two 
packs of the game, mark the cards so you know whose is which, and you can play with up to eight people super easily. Like, there's very easy, easy scaling. The more people you have, the more chaotic it is, the more fun it is. So, yeah, super easy, super small. Do you like this better than, like, an Uno or, uh, I don't know, some of those, like, other, like, classic family card game deals? Oh, absolutely. I would say, like, you know, this is a million times better than Uno because there isn't a, like, instead of just, like, oh, I didn't draw the cards I needed, like, you can play around a little bit and there is a skill element to can you get your cards out fast enough and you know if you're able to, to move your hands fast enough you can get stuff done there's a very satisfying feeling when you knock all of your cards out and you you know blitz and you know everyone has to stop playing and they still have a ton of cards left to get rid of but you've gotten rid of all of your cards and so you rack up huge points like it's really fun and satisfying and uh, I think way more because a lot of those games too is because it's turn-based. It can be slow. Everyone's playing at the same time. It's so fast, and it's it you know it gets it gets it's a really fun time. It says uh, it says a wonderful good game on the back of the box. <laughs> uh, a wonderful good game. Uh, this looks great. This is I've never heard of this. Uh, this is a uh, you're you're schooling me up on a on a whole new concept here. Yeah, like yeah. and I mean this, this is you well. can find this. You can find this pretty much anywhere. We're definitely going to play this the next time we meet up. I'm going to bring bring a pack of cards. We're going to have a time with this. I mean, this is this is an old game. This this game was like from the the 60s, I think. Um, it's it's been around a long time. You can find it like pretty much any store. It's going to be super super cheap. Like it's not it's not hard to 12, you know 12 bucks new on Amazon. 12 right bucks now. new on Amazon. It's super easy. And I think you know if you got a, if you got you know even with two people, it's it's really fun. My wife and I play this together constantly actually but once you get up to three or four it is i think one of the more fun card games you can play that is like a super simple concept. and also to your earlier point they have blue and green box editions the only difference between them is that the art and colors are different so you don't even have to mark up your second copy you can just buy one of each box and it's the work's all done yeah absolutely so that would be my recommendation my first recommendation for a small box that's going to be give you a lot of enjoyment and give you some good games out of it is dutch blitz the dexterity card game first now for something completely different so i sort of struggle with this when we were kicking around the idea of the episode which one of my uh various small box games do i want to talk about a lot of these we've mentioned on the show before there's there's obviously the tiny epic series of which i have several uh we've touched on a lot of those games at different times on the show and if you uh, want to get some small games into your collection, you could do much worse than just going over to Gambling Games and checking out the Tiny Epic line. So I really won't dwell on that. So I wanted to highlight something that I think is a bit more of an overlooked game, and it's a bit stretching the definition of a small box game. And so I want to talk about Warhammer Quest, the adventure card game. This is a 2015 release from Fantasy Flight Games that is out of print and honestly not super easy to get. So that's a bit of a bummer. Uh, as I will explain later, though, it does have a variant that's still out there for relatively cheap. Um, but what this is is a basically a pretty shockingly in-depth and full-featured dungeon crawl uh, game fighting magic adventuring uh, in a grim setting. In a game that, in a box that's about half the size of a standard game box, and it's entirely driven by cards and uh, about six uh, nice oversized custom dice, and that's about it. So it, I really think this fits the, the spirit of a true small box game. It's got minimal components, doesn't take long to set up, uh, it's got a low profile table space, 
But the game that it actually uh, presents is as rich and in some cases even more complex and rich than a lot of other dungeon crawl type experiences that you get. Um, I am uh, a well-established fan of the dungeon crawl genre, and I would rank this one among like the very best in this space. Um, the uh, the basic flow of the game is standard dungeon crawl jazz, right? Like you are exploring uh, a, a labyrinth of some kind, trying to get to the final space. There's a boss that you're trying to beat. There are enemies harassing you along the way and opportunities to get treasure. But instead of a bunch of like dungeon tiles that are sprawling everywhere and a bunch of minis and a very like large complex experience this is all simulated using cards that you arrange out on a table in like a clever way uh it it really comes alive though more than you would think just like a card game would the sense uh of exploration because every time you flip over a card that represents the next zone there's really a sense that like you're in a new space because there will be different effects in play for each zone that you're moving through and to progress you have to successfully explore a number of times and some zones are like more complex and require more exploration to like find the exit and go to the next zone uh there are enemies that spawn when you move into these spaces and there's a real sense of like movement about the rule set that they wrote for the even though this is all just cards because enemies some enemies will appear like right in front of you and then others will be back in the shadows and there'll be these face down cards that you don't know like what's coming you just kind of get the sense that like oh there's some enemies back there in the shadows and enemies when they attack they'll move from the center of the play area to right in front of you and that means they're like in your zone and when they're in your zone, they interfere with you. So every time you try to take an action, you actually have to roll the attack die for the enemy. And there's a chance that they're going to hit you every time you're trying to do something. So you want to get them out of your zone. Other players can do things to lure them into their zone. Or sometimes enemies will retreat and go back into the shadows. So there's a shocking sense of like movement and like battlefield tactics happening, even though these are all just cards. Uh, it's tense. Uh, you have to work together really well. There's much more collaboration amongst the players. You're not just like move and attack, you know, move and attack and use no special abilities. You have to figure out how to help each other by either controlling the movement of enemies, healing each other, or you can just do a support action that gives uh, your opponent a bonus on a subsequent action that they take. So there's all of these ways where it suddenly becomes much more collaborative. Uh, it's just really good. I mean, I'm probably not doing a good job of explaining the rules. I don't want to get too bogged into it, but it's uh, it's shockingly uh, compelling, like full featured, like combat exploration uh, stuff. The other thing that's really notable about Warhammer Quest Adventure Card Game is that it is it packs in this small box a full campaign that's about I'll say five sessions long that you can play through in a sequence. And uh, in between sessions, you can level up your character and buy stuff and go to the Smith and do all sorts of RPG stuff like that. Um, if you have done the campaign and you're bored with it, it actually has a rule set for something they call the delve mode, where you just create a randomly generated dungeon using all of the cards that it has. And you try to go as deep as you can and maybe get to the end before you are dead with rules for leveling up along the way. So there's a ton of gameplay packed into uh, this really small box. Um, yeah, we we played this one together actually a little bit a couple years ago. And yeah, it's good. I, I really enjoyed it. I think one of the things too is that, and uh, 
you know, part of the respecting your table space as well is that you, the actions you have, you, only, you have four cards in front of you that signify your actions. And when you take them, you flip them over. And then when you get to your last one, you can flip all of your cards back over. You get to, to redo everything. So it keeps your actions like super easy to tell what you have, but it just keeps it down to only, you know, four possible things that you can do each turn. And when you get a new action, you just replace it with a new one. So it, it never, you know, it gives almost kind of like, you know, that adventure, you know, almost, you know, RPG type game like feel, you know, where you're moving forward and you're making these actions, but it never starts to build onto it in a way that is just going to bog you down. It keeps it simple and straightforward the whole time, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, that's a great point. It, it's sort of, uh, there's not a lot of analysis paralysis in this game. I mean, you have to like consider like what the best move is, but you still only at the most have four things to choose from. Um, and all the characters have the same action, but they're all like slightly different. Like everyone has like a variation on like explore, attack, support the other player, and then like do some kind of rest that will heal you and then refresh all your cards. Everybody's got those same four things, but then they're all slightly different. Like the elf uh, is really good at exploring. So her explore action is better. She's going to roll more dice and get more effect when, than when like the fighter goes and explores. But the fighter's obviously got a better attack and vice versa and all of that. So there's like... The same options, but everybody's a little more specialized. There are two things about this game worth knowing. One is it's sort of notoriously very difficult. Uh, it is one of those co-op games that you will probably lose until you get the hang of it. A way to mitigate it is um, always try to play with four characters. Even if you're playing with two people, everybody run two characters. Because if you have four characters in play, it's just better. That's true of a lot of dungeon crawl games. You just give yourself more options and more attacks. Uh... The thing about this series that I find interesting is it's a bit of a cursed <laughs> series of games. So this game was designed by uh, a pair of uh, designers that I thought they do really interesting work. Uh, they're brothers, Adam Sadler and Brady Sadler. Uh, they're with Fantasy Flight Sadler, not Sandler. I'm sorry, I slurred through that. Adam Sadler and Brady Sadler. And they designed this game, a Fantasy Flight game, back in 2015. And the game was really popular for a brief window of time there. This is kind of pre-Gloomhaven, pre, you know, the kind of the current boom. Uh, but this game lived for a time on the hot list. And it's still in the top, you know, uh, 700 games of all time on the hotness list. So it's it's not nowhere on the amongst the thousands of games. Uh, but then Fantasy Flight lost the, the Warhammer license. And so this never got a true, like, follow-up. Uh, it never got the expansions or sequels that it might could have to give it some life. Um, a few years later, uh, Fantasy Flight tried to bring it back, and they rebranded it Heroes of Tyranoth, set in their uh, wonderfully generic uh, Tyranoth fantasy universe <laughs> that they used in-house. And it just wasn't the same game. I like it. It has the exact same rules and system, but they did uh, one weird thing, which is they got rid of the campaign idea. And it's a series of one-offs, but what they did was they greatly expanded the idea of how to customize your character. You actually level up more, and your character evolves. You pick a character and then assign their different classes you can pick. So you kind of mix... There's more interesting things you can do on the character side in Heroes of Tyranoth, but the, not having the campaign kind of makes it a little less... I don't know. It doesn't come off the shelf as much for me. But, but it also kind of flopped. And didn't really, it never got much of a sequel. And then there was a third game that came out that used these systems that didn't come out from Fantasy Flight. I can't remember the title of that. And that also didn't really go anywhere. So I, I feel like this is a game system and a rule set that never really broke out the way it should. And it's kind of a shame. And I think it's 
officially dead. I don't think there are any more games coming out using this. Uh, Warhammer Quest is totally out of print and very expensive in the used marketplace. There's like a $100 version right now on Amazon. But Heroes of Tyranoth, if you want to give that a shot, even though I kind of undersold it a little bit in my comments, uh, that's 50 bucks. So it's still lingering out there for a decent price. So that's my choice. And the reason I like it is it truly does that thing of like giving you a full game experience, a lot of depth, a lot of replayability, but really scaling it down into a game that you could like comfortably throw into, you know, a backpack and head out the door. I am also a fan of a good chunky dungeon crawl sort of game. Uh, I do have to ask, since you did say this was very much your oeuvre of game, I'm assuming that uh -huh. the artwork is just all, like, gray, pencil line, very... <laughs> it is it People is who surprising. look like they haven't had solid food in a couple weeks, just gaunt. Um, you know what? Uh, it's actually shockingly not. Um, it is... Uh, so the first game, the, the, the Warhammer quest is, like, the Warhammer, uh, you know... Uh, uh, classic warhammer art warhammer fantasy stuff so it's it's pretty like realistic like grim pretty scary monsters and like grizzled heroes uh it's definitely uh games workshop-esque art um i like it though actually i've always i actually always kind of like the aesthetic of old warhammer fantasy i don't love the age of sigmar stuff that they slowly transition to um, so it looks good. Um, components wise, it really is just art and text on cards and then a great set of custom dice. I mean, a really cool set. There's like these big white, like hero dice with the different symbols for attack and defend and the enemy dice, uh, with a big skull on one side for if you roll the skull, it's just, that's bad. Something bad happens. So it's a good set. Um, the heroes of Tyranoth is like that bright, vibrant, like in-house fantasy flight style for their fantasy stuff. You know, it's fine. I don't love it. Aaron, why don't you finish this off with our last small game? All right, so I'm going to cheat uh, because one of them I'm hoping to, in the same way that Matt was able to uh, call the ridiculously overproduced reprint of Castles of Burgundy into existence, I'm hoping to to channel whatever mojo we have here. Uh, my first, my absolute favorite, number one with a bullet, it's a game that came out from Simon uh, like a decade ago, somewhere in there, uh, that was like $40 for a very small box with six dice and a deck of cards. Horrendously overpriced, and not even overproduced, just overpriced. Uh, but it is by one of my favorite designers, Phil Barros, and it is called Looters. Uh, when I describe Looters to people, especially people who play board games, my pitch to them is, you know how when you play Munchkin, it's like 30 minutes of fun crammed into a 90-minute game? Like there's, there's a, like, there's this one part of the game that's really super-duper fun, and then the rest of the game is waiting for the fun part, and then the fun part has happened, and now it's just a very slow climb to victory. Looters is that half-hour of fun. Yeah. Uh, it is, you have a, a deck of cards everyone draws from the same deck, and each card represents a looter. It's a little little goblin creature going who will either get money from the dungeon or attack other players, potentially stealing their money, killing their looters. And 
that's really all it is. I mean, I could teach you the rules in this pot. It's, it's, there's four steps on your turn. Two of them are the same, and one of them is counting to three. It's a very simple game mechanically, but it does some things that are really, really excellent. The first is that uh, there's not much thought put into balancing. So there are some cards that just every time they come up, you're like, wow, this really sucks, and that's okay. And then there are some cards that come up, and every time they come up, you're like, oh, I, I'm about to win the game. And the other thing it does is there's a whole bunch of cards that all they do is they kill everybody and everything at the table. And now everyone has no monsters in front of them. So you very, you very quickly learn not to be precious with your, your toys. You use them as much as you can, as hard as you can, exploit them completely, because you're only a couple card draws away from it all being taken away from you. And it's it's so it is it's, it's such a criminally underrated game. No one ever talks about it. Uh, and again, I think part of it is Simon did like one printing of it, and they sold it for an outrageous price. And now you just can't find it. You know, I think I saw one copy on eBay when I was looking earlier for like fifty dollars, and there's a couple on the board game geek market that are similarly up there. And I know it'll never get reprinted, but this is my my official petition to the universe for this game to come back out. Um, my other game, completely unrelated. Uh, it's a game from the company BoardGameTables.com, and they've actually done... They're another company, along with a uh, shout-out to Button Shy Games. Uh, I'm a big fan of their work. They, they do games that come in, like, literally a little plastic wallet that you could slip in your phone pocket. They're super tiny. Those are also great games. Uh, but Board Game Tables came out with a game that was... Uh, uh, they bought the design from the designer called QE standing for quantitative easing, which is the mechanism by which countries will print money to kind of prop up various industries and rescue their country from the brink of an economic disaster. Uh, QE is a blind bidding game where everyone has a little check with your country artwork on it and a little dry erase pen, and one person will be the auctioneer, and they will auction up the United States agriculture. And anybody is welcome to bid on it, except for the auctioneer. And everyone, well, actually the auctioneer does bid, excuse me. The auctioneer sets the opening bid, and just sets a price. And then everyone gets to write down, literally, whatever number they want. You can bid $4, you can bid $4 trillion. You're, a, you're an entire country. You don't have a budget. You don't have an income step to worry about because you're just printing money. You're just making money out of thin air. So it doesn't matter what you write down. You just want to win the auction because there's a, a set collection where you want to get multiples of a certain industry as well as multiples of your country and different pieces and parts. So you're, you're, there's also all sorts of scoring opportunities. And the first step you do, once you've done all of the auctions for all of the tiles, the first thing you do is everyone counts up how much money they've spent, and whoever spent the most money immediately loses. It does not matter how many points they have, <laughs> they are immediately removed from contention. 
and then you add up everyone's scores and see who won. And it's it's almost hard to wrap your head around how that plays at the table, especially when I'm teaching the game. I'm always like, you can write down any number, and people are like, what do you mean any number? Where How much money do I have? And I'm, and I'm like, no, no, no. You are the country of Japan. You can write down any number. You don't, it doesn't, any number that comes into your head. And this beautiful meta evolves, especially if you get the chance to play it like multiple times in an evening. This beautiful meta evolves where people will start off lowballing because they don't want to go out of the game. And then somebody realizes they're not winning. And so they start writing down some stupid high numbers. And then everyone else notices they're winning a bunch of points. And then other people start bidding up. But then the first person realizes they need to start bidding down. And everyone realizes all of these things like every round. And you have powers you can use where like once per game you can see what the winning bid was if you lost. So you can look at it and see, well, how much did they bid to kind of get an idea of where that other person's head is at and what kind of money they're willing to spend. So you don't always see what everybody's bidding. The auctioneer, obviously, gets oh, to see okay. what everyone bid. This sounds really cool, actually. And I like that. Once, you might bid like a million dollars, and all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm, how did I not yeah, win? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the beautiful thing is, is there's so many of those moments in the game where you write down and like this, a thing will come up, and you'll look down at your little scoreboard, and you're like, oh, I desperately need that. So you will write down $5 million and then slap your check down immediately, hand it to the auctioneer. And then everyone else is kind of thinking and hemming and hawing. And then he hands back everyone's checks, and then he passes the winning bid to the winner, and that wasn't you. And you're like, what did they write down? Because, again, their number could have been anywhere between $5 million and $5 million and $1 and $10 trillion or whatever. There, There is no upper bounds beyond a number that can be expressed within the confines of your little check that you have to write on uh so so you're you're really selling me on this game actually this sounds this sounds really fun and i like the idea it is, is this uh so like one of my favorite how games. long is the playing time and how like kind of easy is it to just pick up and go your for your second game will be with three to four players will be 45 minutes to an hour I mean, this is not, you know, it's not a game where you have to play it five times to really understand the rules. The only thing you have to really understand is the implications of the one rule that you don't have a budget. That you really have to... It, it's... <laughs> and I hate it because I always talk about how much I hate them. It is kind of a social deduction game. Because you have this. Oh, oh, now it comes out. <laughs> now, now it's out. Turns out, I do secretly love social deduction games. I just specifically hate Werewolf. Um, what uh, what is what's this game called again? It's called Q E. Letter Q. Period. Letter E. Period. What Q E board game? I gotta see this. Like I'm having, I'm having trouble. Like it sounds fascinating, but I'm like having trouble like really picturing how the game. Small little goes. rectangle box. Uh, you have a, a score sheet. You have a little check that you put your bids on. You have okay. little circle tiles that represent Japanese agriculture, yeah. American and it infrastructure. it does that thing where you have, it looks like you have the, uh, the dry erase yeah, markers yeah. that every, you're and to put everything, down, and, which is always kind of a fun... Every single fun component of the game, except for the rule book and the box, is just a big, thick, dry erase thing, because you're writing over all of it. 
so it feels this, nice to play. I, I like this because it, to me, it's like a perfect example of kind of one of the versatilities of the small box form is that because this doesn't cost a lot to manufacture or as much anyway, people can experiment with like wilder concepts. When you get into the small box space, especially like companies like the Oink Games or like even going down even smaller like button shy you get like weird games games that are playing with theme or mechanics that you wouldn't see scaled up to a giant retail release because it's like not a lot of people are going to buy this you could not sell this in walmart people would not buy a game called quantitative easing they would think it was like a Uh, new version of TurboTax. I wouldn't buy a game called Quantitative Eason, but I would buy a game called QE. So that was already a smart <laughs> marketing decision right there. Uh, but this is another kind of thing we didn't really touch on. You know, small the small box space is also a great place to find experimental, weird, boundary pushing uh, stuff that is uh, not just you know dungeons and like farm simulations and all the stuff that. You <laughs> Even yeah. though I picked a dungeon crawl for my yeah. game. No, but this is this is really cool. And if you look around, you can generally find it for about forty dollars at uh, at most places. So nice and uh, not not too expensive, honestly, for I think what you get on it, which is pretty cool. And that is going to be so. That's going to be our episode. And like I said, you know, a couple big games that come in small boxes. Hopefully, if you're interested in picking something that isn't too expensive or something you can kind of take around with you, hopefully, maybe one of the games that we talked about today is something you might be interested in trying out. All right, so that is, of course, the episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. We do apologize again for the unexpected hiatus. It is going to be an interesting summer, so hopefully we won't take too many breaks. Of course, if you do enjoy the podcast, do always you know give us a like, favorite, maybe subscribe to us or tell a friend, you know, or even reach out to us. We always love getting to hear from you. Maybe tell us what sort of small games that you've been enjoying lately. Matt, if people do want to get in touch with us, where can they do that? You can find us on the Instagram. Look for us at Dice Pirates. Uh, we're there all week long, posting about the games we're playing, mini reviews, updates, fun stuff. And best of all, if you message us or comment, we promise we will talk back to you and even be nice. As always, keep an eye out. Next time, we are going to have another Captain's Log and then another main episode coming soon. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But until then, we will be right here on the Dice Pirates. Play more small games. <laughs>